Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Concord Matters here on this Tuesday, December 13th in the year of our Lord 2016. We're coming to you live from the studios of Worldwide KFUO here in the International Center of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in Kirkwood, which is in St. Louis County, Missouri. I'm your host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bon Terre, Missouri. And if you want to find out more about our congregation, go to stmatthewbt.org. Well, uh, today we are going to be talking about, we're continuing in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, we're continuing in Article 2 on Original Sin. Uh, and we'll have two guests in the studio today, Pastor Matt Wood and Pastor Jim Prothrow. So if you'd like to join our program and, and call in with your comment or question, you may do, do so. We have a toll-free number all across North America, and that is 800-730-2727. Once again, 800 730 2727. Locally here in St. Louis, the phone number is 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. You can also email us with your comment or question. That email address is kfuo at kfuo.org. Well, welcome, gentlemen. Uh, Pastor Matt Wood, you've been on this program a number of times. A couple times, of times yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And uh, I see you've got your uh, winter beard in full yes. yeah. uh, growth here. Yeah. And um, tell us what's happening at your church, which is? Concordia in Maplewood. As I like to remind our listeners, um, Schlafly Brewery is the brewery next to Concordia. Concordia and, is not the church next to the brewery. And so you are Pastor M. Wood in M. Wood. Right. In That's Maplewood. Exactly right. yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. tell us. Can people find out more about your church? Yeah, we do have a website, concordiamaplewood.org, all one word, all lowercase. Um, it's kind of a static website and working on re renovating it. It's been a five-year-long project <laughs> for me. Um, to stay up to date, our Facebook page is probably the, the best place to go. Um, so you can find us on Facebook, give us a like, and and uh, see what we're up to in in. In Maplewood, we just finished a couple weeks ago our uh, participation in the Maplewood Christmas Tree Walk, which is always fun to open our doors to the community and and uh, share the Christmas story with them a, a, a bit early. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, they the the community comes in, sings uh, Christmas hymns and carols with us, and and uh, we feed them. What time is your uh, regular Sunday morning service? At Sunday morning's at 9.30, mm -hmm. and then Wednesday's at 5.30, this this Advent. Um, we are going through the meaning of the Advent candles. All right. Not that there actually is any <laughs> You're inherent some. meaning, but I'm putting some in there anyway. <laughs> and what about Christmas Eve? 
Christmas Eve, 5.30 p.m., and uh, we have, um, everyone is invited. We have a Christmas Eve ham dinner after the service. Oh, boy. And we do that uh, for everyone, but one of the main reasons we do that is because a lot of our older members have family that doesn't come into town anymore. Or yeah. We have some seminary families who can't make it sure. back to town. So we You're have just a about Christmas a mile Eve. south of the seminary. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. And uh, Christmas Day, you're not canceling services on Christmas Absolutely Day. Absolutely not. It's also the Lord's Day. Right. 9.30 a.m. Uh, Very good. Sacrament, Christmas Day. Yep. Good. And welcoming uh, a rookie to our program, but a person that uh, Matt Wood and I have known for several years is a brand new pastor, Pastor Jim Prothrow. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for having me. Good. And um, you, we met you first uh, when you were doing uh, graduate work, I think, at the SEM, and, and then you went off to England why? That's right. Um, I was doing graduate work. Actually, when, when you knew me, I was doing it at Washington University okay. here in St. Louis. Um, and then after that, went to go and uh, did a Ph.D. at the University of Cambridge. In you what know, area of uh, scholarship? I studied the New Testament, particularly the letters of Paul. Letters of Paul. All right. And you actually finished your doctoral work. Yes, that's right. Congratulations. <laughs> Some of us are still littered along the highway of all but dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Many no, carcasses I, on that road. I feel for my brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and you are now my nearest neighbor in my circuit. You are the new pastor at uh, Trinity in Park Hills, Missouri, just ordained this month. And you did your first service as a pastor this two days ago right yeah yeah very and good I'm holding on for dear life but everything is really good <laughs> new schedule new everything and um, <laughs> is there a web presence for trinity and park hills there is some uh the best place to go would be to trinity lutheran and park hills um, on facebook um, if you just type that in you'll be able to get the uh the right site good um, uh, so we're we're visible there, and um, we have got services as well on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Um, nothing on Wednesday this week. Okay. Um, Christmas Eve, 7 p.m. If you're in the uh, area uh, down at Park Hills, um, that'll be a service with um, readings, meditations, and hymns, and of course the uh, sacraments of confession. And well, we'll get into that part of the yeah, confessions yeah. <laughs> later on, but with uh, confession, absolution, and uh, the Lord's Supper, and then Christmas Day um, service is at 10:30. Uh, which is the normal time. And uh, yeah, okay. anybody who's in the area is welcome to come join us. Good. And at St. Matthew in Bonterre, we have Christmas Eve service at 7 p.m. Uh, carols, candlelight, readings, sermon, so forth. And then the big festival service on Christmas Day itself at our normal Sunday morning time of 9 a.m. Now, uh, Pastor uh, Prothro, uh, you have a daughter how old? She's two years old, Sophia. And, and you're expecting... We're expecting you, another one, name to be announced. In what, <laughs> January, right? Yeah, in about four weeks. So it's going to be a big first month in the parish. Yes. And Pastor Wood, tell us about your family. Uh, my wife, wonderful, supportive wife, Callie, is yeah. also pregnant. We're doing February, February I, I, 21st. And uh, everything's so it's a baby boom here. Well. Yes, Good. exactly right. Uh, we have a couple names picked out, but... Uh, um, Not Holly. Yeah. Right. Well, not Holly. That's no, often no, you want to no, on no, Hollywood. No, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We like to keep names. It took me a second. <laughs> <laughs> or Mabel. Yeah, Mabel Wood yeah. of Mabel Wood. No. So, okay. So, yep. yep. But one thing about these children, and we're segueing into our topic. Mm -hmm. In sin, did uh, uh, their mother conceive them? They were they will be born little uh, haters of God, mm -hmm. uh, little uh, original sinners, and. Uh, your your uh, 
Lord is going to wash away that sin and give them a new nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that leads us into our topic for today, which is original sin. And um, how bad is it? That's what we're going to get at. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Because if we minimize that, we're actually... Uh, jeopardizing people's faith if we sort of uh, downplay that. That's what we're going to get to. So we're in the doctrine on uh, the article on original sin, Article 2, in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. This is, I think, our third week in this in this topic. And when we say, the just to recap briefly, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, we're talking about the Augsburg Confession of 1530, which presents the basic Lutheran teachings And then um, the apology is the defense of that document after the Roman Catholic Church issued what they called a confutation of the Augsburg Confession. So that's a little bit about the background. The article in the Augsburg Confession that the Lutheran confessors presented stated, and I'll quote from that, Our churches teach that since the fall of Adam, all who are naturally born are born with sin. That is, without the fear of God, without trusting God, and with the inclination to sin called concupiscence. Concupiscence is a disease and original vice that is truly sin. It damns and brings eternal death on those who are not born anew through baptism and the Holy Spirit, and so on. Now, gentlemen, I mentioned this Roman Catholic confutation, the papal confutation against the Lutherans. And this is an article they said they agreed with. And Melanchthon, the author of the Apology, says, no, you're not really agreeing with what we're saying (laughs) because the confutation, here's a quote from the confutation, to lack fear of God and to lack faith is actual guilt. Now, on the surface, that sounds all right. But when they're saying actual guilt, how are the, the Roman Catholic theologians actually disagreeing with the Lutherans on this matter of original sin and concupiscence. Either one of you. Well, so actual guilt is um, the the fruits of sin, uh, the behaviors that you actually do. Um, and what, what Melanchthon and the Lutherans are getting at here is the lack of fear and trust in God is, is runs deeper than uh, anything you actually do. Of course, it is also things you actually do. Of course, um, your, your your sinful works are fruits of this lack of fear. But this lack of fear is so deeply ingrained uh, and so deeply corrupts our nature that it that it comes before anything we we do. Mm-hmm. It comes before we have reason. It comes before we have breath. It it it, it, it so completely and fundamentally corrupts us. It's and a we're sinful born nature. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the actual sins are the fruit right. or the fruit symptom, the, the, mm-hmm. the evidence of it. Yeah, Pastor a, Prothro. It's a funny thing when you when you read these, especially with, with, with kind of our modern English and you read the translation, because it sounds on the surface of it like Melanchthon is just picking for a fight unnecessarily, because they said, oh no, it's actual guilt. And when I think in you know, actual guilt, I think truly Mm-hmm. Actual, like it's actually guilt as opposed to being fake guilt or something else right. like that. Mm-hmm. But when they say it's actual guilt, what they're saying is that it's not something that you have, like you were saying just a second ago, Pastor Wood, it's not something that you have 
inborn in you, even mm -hmm. before you develop your own reason, your ability to think, your ability to choose this or that or the other thing. It's something that counts and counts as sin against you, even before you develop any of those kinds of abilities um, as a human being. It's, it's, so what, when they want to say it's actual guilt, you might think it sounds like they're saying, oh yeah, it's guilt. Mm -hmm. But we're saying, no, 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 there's something deeper something more, you know, original in the in the sense of it, something that you're actually born with instead of just something that you woke up and decided to do and that the next day you might decide not to do, mm -hmm. right? So I look at these, at these um, prepositions here, what you're born without and what you're born with, and the, what the Lutherans are saying, you're born without the fear of God, without trusting God, but it's also what you're born with, an inclination mm -hmm. to sin, that's what they're calling concupiscence right. mm -hmm. and and the, and that is actually will damn you right mm -hmm. and and the confutation says no you're not born without the fear and love of god but somehow you are born with concupiscence <laughs> and melanchthon says d d no concupiscence is the natural follower of lack of fear and trust in God. If, yeah, something takes right. its place. Right. Mm -hmm. you, so you, so if you're born with a natural fear and love of God, it just eliminated would be concupiscence. It can't be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if your nature is to love and fear God. Now, mm -hmm. in this article here on original sin, Melanchthon is going to quote the scriptures. He's going to quote the church fathers where they agree with this, where they agree with the scriptures. And he's kind of, he's taking on sort of a school of thought that developed in the Middle Ages, especially the late medieval period in, in the church, um, uh, called the scholastics. Who can tell us, what, what does he mean by, the, who are these guys called the scholastics? And what are they, what is their point of view on this? Pastor Prothor, we're looking. You got that PhD. On, you got a PhD. I see written on your forehead. This isn't my field. No. Okay. Oh, but this is a, a, a school of people that emerged. What was it? The 12th century, really, where it got going. Later Middle Ages, 1300s, 1400s. Yeah. Uh, um, where, Gabriel Beale and those guys. I yeah. Guess. Um, you, you, where the the sort of favorite thing to do is make distinctions. Um, so it's kind of the opposite of what Luther likes to do. So Luther mm -hmm. likes to just sort of throw everything together. I've got a quote from the small cult articles I want to share later if we end up going that direction. But um, Lu when Luther wants to talk about sin, say, in this case, he's just going to say, look, at sin. Mm -hmm. Just repent of it. Don't try to kind of dissect everything that you possibly do. These scholastics say, were very uh, influenced and, and, and sort of overlaid Aristotelian categories right. onto the Word of God, and that isn't always a good fit. Right. They want to they want to make everything make sense within the sort of philosophy that they've been given right. to understand the Word, instead of just get hit in the gut with the Word of God and let it sort of work itself out and figure right. it out. And that's more Luther's take. And Melanchthon gets to stand in the middle to say, "I agree with Luther, but I know the words that you're using, so mm -hmm. let me try to explain it in your terms." <laughs> yeah, Melanchthon himself was a great classicist, a patristic scholar, a humanist. I mean, he was very familiar with philosophy. I mean, Luther was too. But uh, Luther let the Word of God be the Word of God <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, said, all right, enough on Aristotle here. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So these scholastics were trying to explain away with uh, very fine distinctions uh, uh, the depth of the, the 
culpability, the corruption of original sin in man, leaving some ability in man uh, to achieve righteousness in some way and minimizing uh, the depravity of man and the damnability of original sin. And uh, the, the Lutheran confessors are saying, let's take this more seriously than that. Yeah. All right. And and, and so and Melanchthon here will cite the scriptures. He'll cite, uh, go back further than the, uh, than the scholastic theologians like to Augustine and so forth, where they're teaching correctly. Because Melanchthon, you know, the Lutherans always are saying, we're not making up anything new here. Mm-hmm. We're teaching what the scriptures teach and what the fathers, when they were right, were teaching also. So they said that the standard definition of original sin is the lack of original righteousness. And then that lack is filled with a positive inclination to do sin. And that's a concupiscence in that sense. All right. So that's kind of re- a recap of where we've been so far. And now we're going to take up some new material here in this article. You may think original sin, well, let's just handle that in two or three paragraphs. But no, uh, this this uh, minimizing of original sin, when you do that, it affects the gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. It minimizes what Christ has done for it. And we're going to get into that later in this hour. But let's pick up some new material here. Paragraph 24. Of equal importance is the definition of original sin found in the writings of Augustine. He is used to defining original sin as concupiscence, which is wicked desire. He means that when righteousness had been lost, concupiscence came in its place. Since diseased nature, sinful nature, cannot fear and love God and believe God, it seeks and loves carnal things, that is, things of the flesh. By nature, when we are secure, we hold God's judgment in contempt. When we are terrified, we hate God's judgment. This is why Augustine includes both the defect and the vicious habit that has come in its place in his definition of original sin. What does what um, uh, Melanchthon mean here by both the defect and the vicious habit that comes in its place? Either one of you. The defect is the loss of original righteousness, how we were created to be, how Adam was created to be, to, to trust God. we don't love God, God like right. we should. Love and trust God. Fear and love God uh, above all things. Yeah. We don't do that. That's the defect. We cannot do it. That's the defect. And and then what we're according lacking— According to our sinful nature. According to our sinful nature before Christ, before baptism, right. original right. sin. So we have this defect, and it necessarily is filled with— concupiscence or the inclination to love carnal things. <clears throat> we don't love God, so what are we going to love? Ourselves. Ourselves. We're not, and what Melanchthon is getting at here is we are not ever neutral on this, right? We're not born uh, in some neutral way with respect to God. You either are lack original righteousness and love yourself for the, the base things of this world, or you love God and you love him. There's there's not a neutral ground here. This concupiscence, this wicked desire to love the things of the flesh, the first thing we probably think of, Pastor Prothro, is like going to a whorehouse or uh, a gluttony or 
shame and vice, but uh, fleshly desire isn't only in base, gross sins, is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a a really great passage where Luther talks about the um, uh, verse in Philippians where Paul says, their God is their belly. And he says, most people think, you know, their God is their belly. You're thinking about sort of youthful passions, right? I want to go out. I want to get drunk. I want to go, you know. Sleep around. Yeah, I want to sleep around, something like that. Um, but he says, no, everybody's got something, some, some, some base desire underneath. He said, when you're older, it's your legacy, right? It's this desire for self-preservation and um, uh, sort of promotion within the world. Um, it's... It, it comes. It comes in people, you know, like uh, like us who who dress like us <laughs> and look at have the jobs like us who are more interested in uh, serving ourselves with what we do sometimes. Looking than, good, yeah, mm-hmm. looking good, or meeting the right people, shaking the right hands, than actually serving the people that we're talking to. It happens. Um, it comes in all walks, and it looks really respectable sometimes. Yeah. So, like Jesus blasts the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, mm-hmm. who prided themselves on not being like the prostitutes and the tax, the corrupt, easily visible, corrupt, blatant right. sinners, mm-hmm. but they were as much carnal sinners, if not more so, than uh, the troubled uh, prostitute. Right. Mm-hmm. And and something that gets lost, particularly with the Pharisee discussion, I think, is, is how respected they were in the world as well, right? We, we get a pretty negative picture of them in the Gospels, so we might think, oh yeah, everyone thought they were pompous hypocrites mm-hmm. and, and wanted to say, no, no, no. These were... These leaders were, of the community. Leaders yeah. of the community. You wanted your son to be one and you wanted your daughter mm-hmm. to marry one. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, So even yeah. li- living an outwardly respectable life, you can be as much filled with this mm-hmm. carnal concupiscence, the love mm-hmm. of the flesh, as the person who falls into vice. Yeah. yeah. And it's... Go ahead. Matter if I tackle thing on, it's a really interesting thing to me that um, you know people talk about natural law and sometimes the doctrine that you're that you're sinful and originally sinful and actually you know against God and for yourself. Um, people say, "Oh no, well I, I I could never think that." You know, I hold my little daughter, or I hold my child, and you know some people point out and they say, "Well, you know." I never had to teach my daughter to lie. Mm-hmm. I can remember the first. I've got a two-year-old child. I can remember the first time she lied to me. Um, and the look in her eye when she decided, oh, I'm going to pull one over on dad and go get what I want instead, and she ran out of the room. You do not um, have to teach your children to sin. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you have to teach them Now, you do, to, we yeah. do teach them to sin by our yeah. failures as parents, Obviously. but they're going to end up sinning one way yeah. or another anyhow. Um, but this is one of those things that, you know, while, while the scholastics were reading philosophy and trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to, how to, how to get ourselves off the hook for so many sins, this is one of those things that some of those people who like ostensibly hate Christianity actually have seen in the world. So a guy like um, Friedrich Nietzsche, who was a philosopher in the um, 1800s, um, really kind of nihilistic and, and, and very anti-Christian, very anti-Christian. He used to say that a living thing, every living thing, desires to vent its own strength. Everybody wants to get one over on somebody else, even if it's by being super pious and super mm-hmm. great. Everybody wants to get one over on somebody else. Everybody wants everybody else to sort of bow to them in one respect or another, whether it's by punching them in the head or by impressing them with how smart they are or something else like that. And even somebody like this has a keen enough perception of the human nature around him to be able to see that. Um, So this is is one of those articles that uh, you can't get the full articulation of it without Scripture. But if you look hard enough at yourself and at other people, you 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 can get pointed in the right way. Um, and the necessity of this 
mm-hmm. of this hard look in the mirror mm-hmm. is so that we run to Christ. Yeah. Because right. uh, unless you realize how bad it is, you're not going to have m- much of a need mm-hmm. for Jesus. And that's where, where uh, why the Lutherans are insistent on this article. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much, how close are we getting to the break? About another minute or so? Okay, let's take a little bit more. Uh, let's go to paragraph 26. We are right in our description of, uh, let's see, did we get, no, we didn't 25. do 25. Here we go, 25. Uh, concupiscence is not only a corruption of physical qualities, but also in the higher powers, a vicious turning to fleshly things. These people do not realize the contradiction in what they are saying. At the same time, they attribute to mankind a concupiscence that is not entirely destroyed by the Holy Spirit and also the ability to love God above all things. Pastor Wood, you were talking about uh, that they're saying that we have some ability to love God. Right. Well, this is their denial that this is in the computation. They explicitly deny that we're born without that. They explicitly deny that we are born without fear and trust in God. But then they say we do have concupiscence. And Melanchthon here is saying that <laughs> doesn't, make, doesn't sense. make sense. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> right. they want to reserve some ability. And man, right. you may need the, the sacraments of the church and mm-hmm. some booster shot of grace to help you along the way. Right. But you have some ability mm-hmm. Um to do to love God. All right, we're coming up on the break now. We'll pick it up uh, right after this. You're listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. 338! Protect yourself and those around you by getting your flu vaccine. It is your best defense against the flu. Annual vaccination against flu is recommended for all people six months of age and older, unless they have a condition or medical reason not to get the vaccine. Stay in the game, get vaccinated, and help us tackle the flu. To find a flu vaccine clinic near you, go to mo.gov and click on the flu vaccine locator. This message is brought to you by the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Recently graduated from high school or college and looking for a chance to serve a community in need while sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Lutheran Young Adult Corps may be for you. Lutheran Young Adult Corps provides opportunities for long-term, full-time service for 10 weeks through the summer or 10 months over the school year in places like St. Louis, Philadelphia, and Boston. Find out more about Lutheran Young Adult Corps by finding us online at lcms.org slash Y-A-C-O-R-P-S or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Lutheran Y-A Corps. In 1924, we embraced the new technology of that day. Radio. Since that day, we've stayed on the cutting edge of technology. There are many easy ways to listen to Worldwide KFUO. On the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the gospel of Christ in both word and song. Now that's why you should listen. The where and the how, well, that's up to you. The messenger of good news. Worldwide KFUO. What's your guess? It's the only state without a city named from the Bible. 
The city of Aloha. Worldwide, guess which Bible named city appears to be most popular? One count shows over 40 places in the world called Bethlehem, over 25 of them in the U.S. alone. And one of the most well-known is Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, founded by members of the Moravian religious group, who on Christmas Eve named their town after the biblical Bethlehem in Judea, the birthplace of Jesus. New Canaan, Connecticut references the land of Canaan in the Hebrew Bible. Goshen, New York is reminiscent of the land of Goshen mentioned in Genesis and Exodus. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love mentioned in the Revelation. St. James, St. Peter, St. Joseph, Mount Zion, Bethesda, Jericho, and many others. Cities with a history rooted in the book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters here on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Charles Henriksen. We have two guests here with us today, Pastor Matt Wood of Concordia Maplewood, Missouri, and Pastor Jim Prothrow of Trinity in Park Hills, Missouri. We're discussing Article 2 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, this article on original sin, and you can join us with your comments or questions uh, toll-free, 800-730-2727. Locally in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Our email address, kfuo at kfuo.org. All right, so um, up to this point, Melanchthon has been saying that original sin is the lack, there's a lack, that we're born without the fear, love, and trust of God, and that we're born with an inclination to sin, actively sin, that is what is called concupiscence, and it is damnable. Original sin and concupiscence are damnable, and it's in our nature, and uh, we can't pull ourselves out of that. All right, and so uh, Melanchthon is taking on what is uh, called scholastic theologians, these late medieval Roman Catholic theologians, who did not go far enough in uh, describing the corruption of our sinful nature according to original sin. Now, Within this debate, uh, who you cite or who you quote is important. So uh, Melanchthon is at pains to show that we're not coming up with anything new here, that the church fathers that we all respect uh, are agreeing with our Lutheran, what the, the what we call Lutheran, uh, definition of original sin over against what the scholastic theologians are saying. So he's mentioned St. Augustine, who's really the the granddaddy of all the theologians you want to quote on either side. Uh, And now he's going to list some more who agree with what the Lutheran confessors have said. This is at paragraph 27 and following. Um, No, 26. Let's pick it up at 26. We are right in our description of original sin when we say that it is not being able to believe God and not being able to fear and love God. We are right when we say that it, it, that it includes concupiscence, which seeks fleshly things contrary to God's word. This means when it seeks not only the pleasure of the body, but also fleshly wisdom and righteousness. Therefore, it holds God in contempt when it trusts in these as good things. 
Now, it is not only the ancient teachers, but even the more recent teachers, at least the wiser ones among them, who teach that original sin is both the defects I have mentioned and concupiscence. Thomas Aquinas says, Original sin includes the loss of original righteousness, and with this, a disorderly arrangement of the parts of the soul. Therefore, it is not pure loss, but a corrupt habit. And then Melanchthon quotes another uh, medieval theologian who got it right. Bonaventure says, uh, when the question is asked, what is original sin? The correct answer is that it is immoderate concupiscence. The correct answer is also that it is a lack of the righteousness that is due. And in one of these replies, the other in one of these replies, the other is included. This is also uh, Hugo's opinion when he says that quote original sin is ignorance in the mind and concupiscence in the flesh. He is saying that when we are born, we bring with us ignorance of God, unbelief, distrust, contempt, and hatred of God. Uh, when he mentions ignorance, he includes these other things. All right, gentlemen, why is Melanchthon quoting Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas, Bonaventure, and Hugo? Who were these fellows, and why is he quoting them? Well, Thomas was the the epitome of scholasticism, mm-hmm. right? So if he, he can, was the chief theologian, right, chief, I mean, mm-hmm. after Augustine, he was the big one. Like what? About eleven hundred? Did mm-hmm. he live somewhere around there? And, and so if he can get if if he can get Thomas on his side, or or if he can show that even Thomas says this stuff, then he's going to continue to build his case that this this Lutheran confession, this Augsburg confession, didn't say anything new, and you're condemning yeah. us unjustly. Because if Thomas Aquinas agrees right. with us that it is both a lack of righteousness and an inclination to sin, right. uh, Take and that's it up with original him. sin, and he's sort of, what, about, is he about 1100, AD 1100, somewhere around there, that... Melanchthon has more issues with the guys who came a little bit after him, mm-hmm. like around 1,200, 1,300, 1,400. Um, we could cheat and look in the back of our of our book here, because there is a glossary of names. Uh, boy, Thomas Aquinas. See, Thomas Aquinas. 1274. He died. 12, oh, 1274. He died. So he's about, 1274. 1,200. Yeah, so he's in the 1,200s. All right. But he's quoting these guys because they're getting it right that it's the lack mm-hmm. of original righteousness, the lack of fear, love, and trust in God, plus this inclination to do wrong. And uh, this is why he quote. I'm not familiar with this Hugo fellow. I've heard of a, Thomas Aquinas, of course. I've even heard of St. Bonaventure. I didn't, I'm not familiar with Mr. Hugo here. Neither. No, everyone's shaking their head. No, they don't know him. <laughs> All right, but, but Melanchthon knew these guys, and his opponents know these guys. All right, so... When we're born, we're bringing with us, and listen, this describes us right here in the studio. It describes you, the listeners out there. You and I are born with ignorance of God. We don't know God the way we should. Unbelief, distrust, contempt, and hatred of God. I mean, that's sounding kind of harsh. Mm-hmm. You don't want to hear that in church, do you? But it's true. Right. And it's and it's particularly harsh when we're talking about our infants. Yeah. I mean, how innocent is a is a child? And why we bring them to baptism? It's not right. just for a quaint family mm-hmm. custom. Mm-hmm. This child is a, this the, is important yeah. in the hands mm-hmm. of Satan until this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, and, you, and your point, what you're pointing out there is is why this is such an important 
article to get right of faith is that the second that you mess with how sinful people are and how deep it goes, then you take away any sort of great gospel that comes mm -hmm. in the sacrament of baptism and the promise of God there. Because the second you start saying, oh, well, kids aren't really, it's not really that bad, but then we still baptize them. Well, why do you do that? Well, <laughs> like, you know, we got the christening yeah. ground from ground from grandma yeah. and uh, yeah you know yeah. we want to have a ticket to heaven maybe if much <laughs> that much yeah. yeah well and as you as you diminish christ you're you're placing a further burden on yourself mm -hmm. if original sin isn't really that bad then why are we that bad yeah <laughs> you know mm -hmm. well i'm not as bad as the uh the guy who takes the gun and shoots up 54 people in a building or whatever am i not on a horizontal realm okay. <laughs> compared with your neighbors, but before God, we are completely separate. It's like, the way I <clears throat> describe it is um, the, the demands of God's law is, is like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon is original sin. Bear with me this metaphor. <laughs> and, and, and the demand is jump across the Grand Canyon. You, so, might, you might be able to get further than the guy who shot 50 people. Yeah, but what's the result is going to be the same. You're going to end up in the bottom. <laughs> You're going to end up in the bottom either way. Yeah, yeah. I get. I, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's move on here a little bit because uh, we're going to get to this point how it impacts the gospel mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also uh, something that they were criticizing Luther on about this too. All right, um, and what the scriptures say. He's quoted some of the fathers. Now we're going to get to the scriptures. These opinions also agree with scripture. Paul sometimes clearly calls it a defect, as in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. In another place, he calls it concupiscence, quote, at work in our members to bear fruit for death, Romans 7, verse 5. We could cite more passages relating to both parts, but when a fact is so clear, there is no need for further testimonies. The intelligent reader realizes easily that to be without the fear of God and without faith are more than actual guilt. They are abiding defects in our unregenerate nature. So, uh, Mr. Dr. Prothro, expert in the Pauline epistles, um, Melanchthon here quotes the Pauline epistles to point out these two aspects, which are what? Well, so that the so from First Corinthians two. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 is getting, he's trying to contrast the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of the cross and the fact that, that you're not going to get Jesus by just thinking about God for a long time because your brain doesn't work that way. God has to actually step in by the Holy Spirit with the word that preaches Christ crucified and say, no, this is God and this is salvation. So when he says the natural man, we mean yeah. the unreborn man, yeah. the unregenerate man, does not even know the things of the Spirit. Right, and can't come up with them on his own. Right, right? you need so the gospel intervening. Yeah, so it's not only that you didn't happen to realize that it must be something like Jesus, but it's that you can't. Mm -hmm. um, and God needs to confront you with that. So there's that so lack. So that's the defect, the lack. Yeah. And then what about the inclination mm -hmm. to do wrong? Yeah, and then and then uh, he jumps to, Melanchthon jumps to Romans 7 um, and, and quotes it where he calls, he, he says that sin is at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Paul says in Romans 7, the passions of sin are at work in our members to bear fruit for death in 7.5. And that's, this hits the other side, not just that the human being, you know, 
has a defect and maybe needs a little bit of a moral steroid, you know, to sort of mm-hmm. like, okay, well, you know, maybe you can't do everything good, but if, if God just gives you a little bit of a sprinkling of a steroid or a little injection that you said a booster shot earlier, of that's grace, really good. Yeah. Yeah, a booster Gratia shot infusa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, 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 that'll make it okay. And then you can do it on your own. You'll work it out. Right. But it's not just that you aren't inclined toward God. It's that you're inclined against God mm-hmm. because what you, you know, Paul talks about later in Romans 7, he says, well, I agree with God's law. In my mind. If, mm-hmm. if, I, if I do what I don't want to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? That you, you can only agree with God and you only can follow God, and first of all, by the intervention of the Holy Spirit, but by disagreeing with your own natural inclinations mm-hmm. because they are actually against God. I think, I think the bottom God. line there in Romans 7, the familiar verse to me is where Paul confesses, he says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, mm-hmm. dwelleth no good thing. Mm-hmm. And he says, who will save a wretch like me? Thanks exactly. be to God. Well, and that's, and that's another, I mean, Melanchthon doesn't go there right in this paragraph, but that's another place he could have gone to talk to say concupiscence is sin. Because when Paul is talking about this inclination that he has to fight in order to even try to agree with the law of God, even by the Holy Spirit, this inclination leads him to then say, who will rescue me from this body of death? Yeah. He doesn't say, well, <laughs> it doesn't really count. <laughs> yeah. He says, ah! Right. He doesn't need a, a helper. Right? Yeah. He, he, you know, who, he, who's going to let me tap out or, or, or yeah. something? He's, he needs a, a rescuer yeah. from he, death. Exactly. So, he, needs, he needs somebody to come and conquer death, mm-hmm. conquer sin. He needs yeah. a victor, not somebody who can help him run a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, to me, the best passage, well, there are so many, but I mean, as, as clear a passage as you can find about the depth of depravity of our original sinful nature, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, mm-hmm. verses 1 through 3, where Paul writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I mean, you can't wiggle out of that at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's go on here. Uh, Let's see. I think we are coming up to paragraph 32. When it comes to original sin, we hold nothing different than from either Scripture or the Church Catholic. Rather, we cleanse from corruptions and restore to light the most important declarations of Scripture and the Fathers, which have been covered over by the sophistry and controversies of the theologians of our day. It is more than clear that modern theologians do not notice what the Fathers mean when they speak about a defect. The knowledge of original sin is absolutely necessary. The magnitude of Christ's grace cannot be understood unless our diseases are recognized. Christ says in Matthew 9, 12 and Mark 2, 17, those who are well have no need of a physician. The entire notion that a person is righteous is mere hypocrisy before God. We must acknowledge that our heart is, by nature, destitute of fear, love, and confidence in God. For this reason, the prophet Jeremiah says, After I was instructed, I slapped my thigh. I was ashamed and I was confounded. Chapter 31, verse 19. Likewise, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. 
Psalm 116, verse 11. That is, they do not think correctly about God. So, gentlemen, why, we've alluded to this before, but why is this knowledge of original sin and uh, how bad it really is, why is that a good thing that we know that? Why is that so important that we know how lousy sinners we are? Well, if, if, we, if we don't know the extent of sin and that we need a Savior from death itself, Christ can really be nothing more than another lawgiver. Or an example. Or an example, right? To, to, I'll give you uh, uh, some power in my words, some self-help statements uh, to something. You can put your arm around my shoulder and, and I'll help you limp along. That I mean, Christ is an example, and he does help us, but those are fruits of He's much his more saving than that. work. He's much more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah, if we miss his, his forgiveness and, and the life that he gives us, his, his saving us from, from death, we, we miss it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pastor Prothro, if I am such a lousy sinner, and I have no, such, no good in me according to the flesh— I'm pretty well lost. What what would you say to your members there at Trinity Park Hills if they're saying, boy, Pastor, this is worse than I thought? What Do you have any good news for them, and do you have any good news for our listeners? Oh, yeah. Tell um, us about this good news. I need <laughs> well, some good news right and, now. And I have some only because God's given it to us in Scripture. Um, where you are when you realize that is where you always are in fact. Um, but you know in your heart now that you've heard the condemnation of God. You've heard God coming at you by his spirit and saying, you are a sinner, and you are unworthy, and you are unrighteous, and you are a lawbreaker, and you are children of wrath, like anybody else that you've ever despised. And where that puts you is not lost, but at God's mercy. Talk about being at somebody's mercy. You know, if you watch like an old movie and 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 um, two people are swashbuckling and one of them loses his sword and is on the ground and the other guy sort of sticks his sword right at the yeah. other guy's throat and you're you're at his mercy, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that he can choose to have mercy on you or he can do away with you as is his right as the victor. Well, when God wins his case against us, God in Jesus Christ chooses to have mercy and mercy beyond mercy. Because he doesn't just wipe us sinners out, but he steps into us by sending the Holy Spirit into our hearts to actually forgive sin from inside of it. Just the same way that instead of coming and destroying the whole world that was dead, he actually came to be born into it. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. He is that now in your forgiveness before God and the mercy you receive that God, we're going to get to that when um, we quote Augustine here in a minute, but that God doesn't count it against you, that he's merciful toward you, that he, not only that, is reconciled and that reconciles you to himself so that the two of you, despite your sinfulness, are actually on the same side in the great conflict Mm -hmm. between God and evil that he has already won in Jesus. And he then takes your side. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, God's not for you if he's against you, right? <laughs> if he's coming with you, at you with his wrath. But in Jesus Christ, you're brought onto God's side and he is on yours. And nothing will separate us from his love. And nothing will separate us from his love now, tomorrow, or in the end, when everything is put right 
and made perfect, when we live in the new creation in which righteousness dwells. Tell me what Jesus Christ has done for me that God should be merciful to me. Oh, he died for you and he rose for you. Okay. And so he reigns for you. God isn't being yeah. a slacker. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> God yeah. isn't being a slacker right. when he forgives our sins. Right. Because mm-hmm. the penalty's been paid. Right. right. The, the guilt has been removed. And, and, and the most important part of this, then, is that we're looking to Jesus at the end of the day rather than our works. Because mm-hmm. if we're born neutral and, and, and we're not born completely sinful, then, then it's our works that measure how good we're doing. Mm-hmm. And acknowledging the orig- problem of the original sin, there's only one thing to look at, and that is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Right, and who came in the flesh as right. our brother. That's mm-hmm. what we're waiting mm-hmm. for now during Advent for mm-hmm. to celebrate Christmas, because he had to be our brother to keep the law for us and to die in our place. I see we have a phone call on the line, and this is Dirk from St. Louis, and uh, welcome uh, to Concord Matters, Dirk. Do you have a question or comment? Yeah, so I've um, been talking to some uh, friends of mine who are non-Christians about this idea of sin. And it's really uh, it's, it's a tough road to hoe <laughs> uh, because their definition of sin doesn't match mm-hmm. mine or Jesus's. And and. And so speaking to them about the need for a Savior um, and how Jesus saves us from our sin is difficult when their modus operandi is uh, different than mine. Any uh, insight on how to have that conversation with my non-Christian friends um, and uh, not allowing you to uh, use the, uh, the the escape card of all the Holy Spirit uh, gives conviction. Mm-hmm. I, I need something more. I need something practical on how to have this conversation. Dirk, Dirk, other than uh, just you know the Holy Spirit works faith. Can you can you amplify a little bit? You said that their definition of sin doesn't agree with yours or scriptures. Uh, wh- how so? What is their definition of sin? Uh, and so. Um, it's it's much more of uh, what works for society, um, you know. The the moral compasses does it benefit does it benefit society or or people and does it prosper you not at the detriment of other people is kind of uh, so the, their idea of sin wouldn't even really be sin. It's just a, um, a a moral imperative more than anything. And so how you know and, and so convincing them of a need of a savior is very difficult, obviously. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Well, or I, I Jim. wonder <clears throat> if a, a good place to start would be how, <clears throat> if if sin is going against society, uh, or who gets to decide what is what is good for society? That might be one place. I don't know how effective that will be, but but I, I think a good place to start would be okay. When have we ever achieved that? concede for the argument their definition of sin concede for argument uh, fine we're all still inherently sinful we can't even escape that we 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 try to minimize it but we're still uh like like nietzsche said maybe that would be a good 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 place to go too we're we're still all serving only ourselves Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. the end of the day and any any attempt to to try and defeat sin um, in, the, in the perfect society or, or something like that always just makes things worse. 
Jim, just Pastor Prothro, do you have anything to add to that? Or um, did you want to ask no, Dirk just any to, more about just it? to amplify what um, uh, what Pastor Wood was saying that um, so another isn't is another philosopher. Your friends may not like him at all, <laughs> but um, another guy who's, who's who's not a Christian, uh, Hobbes, said humanity is like a like a just a vicious animal, and they all need to be caged, and that's where government comes in. So, I mean, I think one one question would be to say, um, what what happens when good government isn't there? Like, what do people do anyway? Is what people do what's good for their neighbor or what's good for society, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, lots of um, libertarians whom I like to read like to quote, um, uh, oh, his name's escaping me now, French guy, came here to Tocqueville. Yeah. Um, and he said, oh, it's great because nobody tells them what to do. They just break, they, the Americans just sort of have lots of little societies that decide to go and help people and do this thing and do that thing, and they do lots of good things. Um, so, you know, that, that one sort of gives you an optimism. But then on another page, um, he says, the problem with having a democracy is that you never rise beyond the self-interest of the masses because a king can become unpopular and make everybody do something that's really good and really loving and really appropriate, really, you know, really wonderful for society. But <laughs> if it's just everybody's choice, and maybe right, your friends right. have particular feelings about the last election, um, <laughs> if it's just everybody's choice, <laughs> you're probably going to end up in a bad place. Dirk, um, uh, let me add something here. Uh, yeah. For your own benefit, I would suggest you read Romans chapter 118 through 320. Paul talks about, in Romans 1 and 2, about Gentiles who do not have the law are a law unto themselves. He's talking about those who don't know the Ten Commandments, and for our sake of discussion, maybe people who don't agree with the Ten Commandments, don't like the Ten Commandments as what the church says. But God wrote the law into human hearts, and sometimes our conscience will accuse us, sometimes will excuse us. What do we do about that guilt or when our conscience accuses us? That's the law written in our heart. Now, we may warp that, we may dull it, but it's there. And so yeah, uh, I, I that think, will convict I think us. His res- I think his response would be uh, maybe conditioning or something like that, or just like that's, that's, that's my perspective. Okay, I, well, I, thank I, you, I Dirk. What, yeah, yeah. We got to cut it. We got to uh, end it here. Thank you for that thought-provoking question. Uh, You've been listening to uh, KFUO, Worldwide KFUO, and our program, Concord Matters. We'll see you next time.